Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Let's talk about business a little bit. So this is our new format, episode four of this format, episode 120 something overall. And you know we've covered a lot of business topics and we'll continue to cover a lot of business topics. This one is chocked full of business related questions. Again, we're answering questions live in this format. So we got a lot of questions as we were recording this that we cover. I think they're really good, relevant questions. We also really framed what business is like in terms of analogies. And and you'll, you'll hear more in this episode, but business oftentimes is, is talked about in the long game and rightfully so, more like a marathon. We kind of take that perspective and, and twist it a little bit because we don't think it's necessarily like a marathon. I think it'll make sense once you hear it. Also, again, we a lot of actionable stuff in terms of business, how to connect with customers and how to find the right customers and stuff along those lines. I think you'll really enjoy it, especially if you're a business owner or you're looking to get into business. All right, let's get into it. Here's the latest episode of Therapy Insiders Podcast. Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Dr. Gene Schrockerbrot here with Dr. Urson Religio. So, Urs, let's get this rolling. Episode four of the live format. Still some kinks to work out, but we're getting there. If you're listening to this via podcast, you know nothing of the kinks. Don't even worry about it. For those that are watching live, you just get a little bit more time with us before we start recording. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, you can actually ask us comments when we don't seem to be paying attention. We'll get to them. How's your week going, nurse? It's going well. Actually, I just got back in. I've been on vacation, took the new RV out. Uh, took me an hour and a half to back it into a completely open wide campsite. Totally looked like an idiot, but I didn't get impatient, you know? It was, it was all right. How else do you learn? I am not an expert. I do. I'm not having the expert dilemma when it comes to backing up RVs, which is uh, which is a reference to our our previous episode where we talked about what it means to to kind of go down that rabbit hole of, of expertise and mastery, where it, it becomes a double edged sword. That the the better you know a topic, the worse you get at communicating it because. You start to go and speak in nuance because as, as you get as you get better at something, you want to know more of it. And that means more specialization. Unfortunately, everyone else is still staying back in the general terms. So Urson, obviously, backing up the RV has as you're still not there at the mastery state. You can you can relate with uh, with us commoners. For sure. Yeah. Backing up a <laughs> three, four foot uh, trailer attached to my truck. It's not easy. Doesn't sound like it. 
Doesn't yeah. sound like it. So let's. How's um, I so th- this this week has been. I I feel like um, I feel like it's it's kind of like hyperdrive where it's just one thing after the other after the after the other. And I, I feel like I say this every week, so um, it just might be reality at this point. But um, I, I operate better that way. Like there, I I obviously I have some walls where I'm, where my brain goes just you're done. I, I don't care what you have to do. You're done. Time to shut down. Um, but it's it's just there's no downtime between recharge and updock and the the growth of both, um, and a the a health app that updock is part of called Health Snaps that we're getting ready to launch for beta, which is incredibly exciting. So it's just a, a lot of different things. All, all like ninety five percent of them good. But again, the, the brain, your body doesn't really care necessarily good from bad. Uh, stress is stress. I think it's one of the big things we always talk about. Uh, people like to break down good stress and bad stress. Stress is stress, you know, and um, it's just how you turn it into uh, pro- productivity and eventual successful outcomes, hopefully. Yeah, I never got that that whole good, bad stress. Uh, you know, it's just... I understand, I understand the concept of like, oh yeah, I'm getting married soon or I'm opening up a new business or I'm getting a new dog and it's whatever you're potentially excited about that's going on in your life or your business. Stress is absolutely stress. Yeah, that it is. But uh, again, I've over the last few years, I've, I've really been working to try to figure out how I best operate, operate. Um, which is figuring out throughout the day, do I have certain patterns that uh, make me more efficient and effective? And I know I'm not the only one that there's tons of books written about this. Tim Ferriss obviously talks about stuff like this all the time. But for me, I really, I break my day down into what I call a CPR. Um, And my, my CPR is creative, productive, and then a recharge. So throughout the day, I have certain gaps where I know I'm creative. There are certain types gaps where I know I'm I can be productive, and then there are certain times where I know I can be where I need a recharge. Um, and I, I've really started to be very mindful and um, really proactive in knowing when those gaps are. And, and it's hard sometimes. Sometimes it's it's the day varies, but for the most part, at this point, I kind of know where throughout the day I can be creative, productive or I just need a little downtime. So I try to kind of structure my day based on my little algorithm that I've created. I like that as a system. And, you know, I've been doing this a while, the multiple businesses, edge mobility, uh, podcasting with Updoc, all my content creation on social media and my courses. So yeah, it's hard to balance all of that. And I'm surprised that in terms of the creative output and thing, uh, concepts like deep work, you really only need to be, at least for me, I need to only be productive and creative for maybe a max of one hour to one hour and a half a day of the entire workday. Because if you are really focused and you're in a deep work mode, it, it's not really the you don't have to be that 90% of your eight or nine hour workday. And I think the misconception, I mean, people, especially nowadays, they fill up the majority of their workday with just like checking their phones and social media, doing so much nonsense. 
you, you can really be productive if you focus on it and you have, I like to be objective about it. I, I always have, um, like I time block certain things that I do on my calendar every day. Like I'll answer emails from 8.30 to 9 a.m. I'll work on social media editing for videos or podcasts at a certain time. Uh, and I won't, I won't touch it unless it's part of my calendar. And uh, when I started blocking those things, it left me more free time to be creative because those are the things that you just need to get out of the way. And if you have something to cross off, it's 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 way better than just periodically checking your phone. Like, I don't know, what's the average person? How many times do they hit the power button? Uh, maybe like 100 times an hour is like that. Yeah, it was, it's an insane number. Right. So once, once I started time blocking and I got that from uh, my buddy Ryan DeBell from the Health Fit Biz podcast, uh, they have a lot of good tips on there. And I just cross those events that I have as weekly recurring things on my Google Calendar. And it's, it's a big stress knowing that uh, once those things are done, I can kind of just get to the things I really want to do that you don't need to do every day but you but you know it's going to change uh your productivity or you're going to just create something awesome in terms of video or audio yeah exactly it's i know i know there's certain things i need to get done right i have this overall view of of my day um so so for me like i i every night i do a daily audit so i look back on the day and i look at what went well what didn't go well uh, what can I push forward to the next day and then try to really create a picture of, of what worked. If I had a shitty day, I look at it again, I audit it, whatever happened negative stays in that day, next day, it's a new day. So I usually don't carry over negativity or, or things that are going to be useless for me the next day. It's just gone. I put it away. Uh, but, uh, I really like, I think sport analogies work really well, at least for this. Um, and I think one of the big misconceptions, especially for business and entrepreneurship, is people saying that, you know, it's like running a marathon, that this this is like running a marathon. And I get where that comes from, that it's long term and you have to keep constant and just kind of chugging away. Um, I, I think it's more I really think it's more like football. I think being an entrepreneurship is, is really much more like football, that um, it looks very violent and it's it's intense but the actual action is in six second bursts, right? If you look at football, you have the six second incredibly violent collision and then you huddle and then you relax and then you get ready and you strategize. Then you have another in, insanely violent six second collision. And then you do it all over again for the length of, of a football game. And I think that's what entrepreneurship is. It's more than just a marathon. I think it's six second collisions and then you know, sometimes you have an injury, sometimes you need a timeout. Uh, but ultimately, you know, there another six second collision is inevitable, if you want to stay in the game. And to me, to me, that's really entrepreneurship. Yeah, the marathon doesn't necessarily make sense. That would imply that you are working at a steady pace. It is hard work. And it keeps on getting harder and harder and harder as the day or the week goes on. And that's not really true. Um, there's not necessarily a wall that you would hit with being an entrepreneur, like the, the physical and mental wall, the more mental wall that you get with running a marathon. It's not continuous work 
that's uh, it might make you make you vomit. You might pee yourself. Um, and certainly there's an end in sight. We're getting a little colorful with the analogy now, Orson. We're getting details in there. Hey, well, my buddy Chris Chafe, Johnson. Chafe nipples. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, got a little bit of everything. Um, yeah, the, the the marathon analogy, I think, is is a better analogy for corporate life. When you have a corporate job that's running a marathon where you're just chugging away and it, you're just going forward. Right. And it, again, I, I don't want it to sound like corporate life is a, is a bad thing. It's a great, sustainable, usually safe career job for anyone. Uh, but it is not entrepreneurship. Um, the other analogy I really like is baseball, and what, to me, I think it's probably more accurate. Um, if, if you're if you're less violent in nature and you don't like the football one, uh, and entrepreneurship is baseball. I mean, think about baseball. You're failing seventy percent of the time. You if mean it's baseball, boring? I will hang up on you, person. <laughs> I will hang up on you. Yeah, I know you're a fan. Unbelievable. Because you fail 70% of the time. If you fail 70% of the time in baseball, chances are you'll make it in the Hall of Fame. If you fail 70% of the time throughout your career, you'll make it in the Hall of Fame. And um, that, I mean, once in a while, you'll you'll hit a home run. But baseball is about singles. Baseball is about team. Uh, baseball is, is about looking at nuances. But ultimately, baseball is about 162 games, right? It's failing, knowing that every single game you come into, you are guaranteed to fail. And that is a successful game, which, which to me is, is, is really the epitome of, of business itself is that you're day in, day out, you play for singles. You're going to have days where you're going to strike out three times. Um, and the best thing is, you know, that the next day you have an at bat, which, you know, that that's the grind, man. Baseball is a game of failure. It's a game of grinding and the ones that are successful are the ones that are willing and capable, knowing that they just failed and they have an opportunity to step up and do something from it. Again, knowing full well that there is a huge likelihood that they will fail again. And yet they cannot wait to jump in there to see if they can just iterate a little bit and change it. Um, to me, I mean, that, you have to have that mindset. Like you have to have that or you will fail in business. Not to mention you'll just suck at baseball too. Uh, one of the things you mentioned in terms of the recharge, it, it uh, struck home with me because I really value the importance of sleep and just rest in terms of the uh, that part of the R of the R and R. Um, and I think very few people take the time to rest and sleep properly. When do you know in a day? that you actually just need to take a step back and recharge? That's a good question. So for me, it's, um, I have, so I always have like a little either sticky pads, but I always carry, carry around with me, um, a notebook with a pen. So I always have my little thoughts to do list. Um, and again, like we said earlier, like I know what I have to get done in a day. So when, when I'm working on something and if I'm getting to a point where whatever I'm working on, I, I, I don't have any thoughts coming through or if I'm in kind of that productive mode um, and, I, and I feel myself going to my phone that I want to check Instagram or I want to check Facebook or I want to just do something away from what I need to be focusing on instead of me saying, okay, you need to really double down. I, I listen to, to 
my body, my brain and my system and say, okay, if I'm losing focus, I'm going to step away, go for a little walk, um, clear my mind a little bit, drink some coffee, and then come back in 30 or so minutes and give it another go. Um, so it, it's being aware of the surroundings and how to, um, how to listen to myself. And instead of ignoring it and trying to push through, I come back and say, time, time to, um, time to recharge a bit. Right. For me, if I find that I'm trying to think of something to shoot or think of something to record, uh, or write, and I'm just not getting anywhere. Um, sometimes I just take the rest of the day off. I, I cross the things off my to-do list that I need to get done, check my emails, do all my customer service, work on my courses, read research, whatever that may be. Um, and then I just, I don't even get back to it that day. I mean, if you can get back to it that day, you are probably more focused than me, but I, I, I know my own self and uh, when my creative juices are not flowing, I don't have any muse that day. I don't get back to uh, that kind of productivity mode. I know I'm not going to hit it. Uh, I, I think having a creative outlet really helps with that as well, because I think that this whole rest and recharge thing plays a different role for different people. Uh, it could be a nap. You know, it, we had a Dan Pink on the podcast who released this new book, When?, few months ago, we talked about what, what rest is, what breaks are, uh, that you should be taking breaks and naps are great, but the, the best break there is the best researched evidence supported break is a walk. I mean, a walk is the best thing you can do. Um, so I, I try to take advantage of that, especially now that the weather's nicer. I try to take meetings, call meetings as I walk. Uh, it's just, it just works out that way. And I, again, having the ability to have different projects going on at once to me is, is a positive thing. Like multitasking in, in every, in every way is usually a, a sign of fail. You're going to fail if you're multitasking. Um, but I think having micro multitasking, essentially letting your brain shift to different processes, uh, at least for me, it is very helpful that as long as I have a creative outlet, which is why I love content. And this is uh, this one of the big questions I get. Actually, we can jump into this question right now. Kind of um, our buddy, John Russell asked the question, um, who for you on Instagram, John asked, um, how do you guys continue to stand apart in your industry in terms of unique innovations doing a world-class job? Thanks, John. I mean, that's, that's really a pod calling the kettle black there, buddy. Um, John's yeah. crushing it in the, in the fitness physio health industry right now. I'd say one of the top leaders period. Um, but it, to me, it, it kind of comes back to this innovation and unique innovation isn't um isn't something that we necessarily strive to do uh, it, it's for us it's a need to grow professionally and expand um, especially creativity it's not about doing something it's about doing something that we love and enjoy so when we create content when we do podcasts when we do videos it's not because at least the the going into it isn't we're going to get more leads or we're going to get more attention or we're going to get this or we're going to get that. It's we have information or we have something we want to tell people and we want to do it in a way that shows people who we are. It, it's a creative outlet. It, it's, it's a way to push ourselves through whatever we're creating because whatever we're creating is a piece of us. So if we're putting out generic 
lifeless, boring things. To, to me, that says that that says who we are. Um, and, and I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that as a person. I don't want to be that as a company. So innovation and pushing forward becomes a necessity because it's the only way to move forward. Uh, it's only it's the only way to be fulfilled, not just be happy, not just have a successful business, but be fulfilled. Um, and that that's what moves it forward. And, and you, you notice the little details, the little details, I think, that that overall make the biggest changes and the you know, quote unquote innovation. Uh, what, what about yours? Well, I've been doing uh, PT and social media for or quite a long time now. And I think uh, only Mike Reinhold, has, I know, has been really doing it longer. And people ask him and I, how how do we do it? How do we, uh, it's not even innovation, but I think taking a step back and getting into how do you do it regularly? How do you just create content that I think is again, it, it's got to be scheduled. Of course, you have to have it. You have to, you have to have new material. Um, but even, you know, I take a look at things that I like from many different industries, whether it's just fitness and health and chiropractic or massage. I follow a lot of different uh, people on social media and no one really invented anything uh, for a long time. Basically, everyone is kind of recycling each other's content. So I try to just look at content that I like, and maybe I wouldn't describe it that way, or I wouldn't tell a patient um, to foam roll because you have to break up scar tissue, but I might tell them that foam roll is a good recovery strategy, and you should do that if you have a perception of stretch in your hamstrings or essentially a feeling of tightness. I would describe it differently. So I just try to put my own spin on things that I like, but I also, I do it regularly, and I try to put it on different social media outlets as, as many as possible, you know. I try to um, be on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I do these podcasts, two podcasts. People don't even know I have two podcasts, uh, but I but I do. Um, you know, and I, I don't take credit for a lot of what I put out there. I just, um, again, like I said, I just, I see something I like and I recycle it and I put my spin on it. And I think that's almost what most people are doing. Um, they may say they invented it, but it's pretty rare that they didn't. Um, so thanks, thanks for thinking that I'm innovating, John. I don't know if I'm innovating in the way that you probably meant, um, but uh, I, I just, I just try to be um, continuous. I just try to have continuous quality, uh, both quantity and quality of things. Because if you put enough stuff out there and it, it does have a good quality and it adds value to your followers' experience, then uh, you will collect those things that probably you're doing them for. Like Gene said, it's not about getting metrics or getting data or getting people to sign up for your list, but it is in a way. <laughs> well, that, that's the end result you expect. That That's not the purpose of the start. But it makes it, it, it is one thing that makes it easier to do it regularly. It's what Mike and I have told many people is that we do have a, a reason for how we can be so regular and how we've done it for so long. Cause the average blogger um, pretty much stops after six months or so. Well, you still, have, you still have to have a solid business model. You have to have the, the traditional business uh, structure to be successful, but the, the creativity or innovation 
isn't necessarily a business thing. Innovation in a lot of ways is a business loss. Innovation, the R&D department is one of the biggest money sucks in any industry, in any company. So innovation, even though we talk about it in an idealistic, positive way, because it, it, it is in a lot of ways from a business perspective, it's a terrible thing because innovation means you have to take risks. Innovation means you have to step away from old trends and you have to venture out into unknown territories and people do not like risk. Most of us are very risk averse. And in the business sense, risk is your worst enemy. Um, but again, you have to, you have to be a certain type of personality. You have to be willing to do that because that is something that is fulfilling to go out there knowing to, to reference the baseball analogy is that you will fail 70, 75%, 80% of the time while you're trying to innovate. And it's not a long, it's not a short-term thing. It, it's these violent collisions over and over and over again, hoping that eventually that when the game's over, you're not, you don't have, you know, a huge concussion or something. It's like doing this broadcast live. Gave you a concussion? No, we may find after looking at our metrics that we are totally failing and people enjoyed the pre-recorded and non-video live format. You know, true. But why? But why do the same thing that everyone else is doing? We are non-conformist. That is for sure. All right, we got another question here from Susie Parnell. How would you? Or we're going to make a switch to uh, to pain science here. So we're we're going whoop, going from business concepts and and theories to a sharp turn into pain science. How would you introduce pain science to referral source to reduce quote unquote thought virus and creating a more positive outlook on therapy as a solution pain? I often hear quote unquote, the doctor says he can't do anything for me. And so he sent me to try PT end quote. Well, that's tough. I've often said that doing pain science is really difficult because you need an entire team of people who are reinforcing your positive message. It, it doesn't matter that the patient may be in their 7% of actually comprehending and listening, active listening that they got from you. you know, they say that 7%, people only hear 7% of what you're actually saying. Even if you got your message across that their radiology doesn't matter and all these thought viruses that other people have given them uh, are non-relevant according to their diagnosis and what you think of for their prognosis and recovery, they can just go back to their doctor and doctor be like, but these x-rays and you need, you need, uh, you know, surgery yesterday. And then they go back to their enabling, uh, household and they're just with, Oh, you know, and your, your best friend, he got, he had to say a similar diagnosis and he had spinal fusion and he's like a hundred times worse than he was before. And everyone who I know had that, uh, same surgery. So yeah, that, that is an uphill battle. I've been doing uh, pain science education since 2002. People are always talking about it like it's this new thing, but that was one of Butler first came to the US and I took one of his first classes and, and it has been uphill since then. In terms of introducing it to the doctor, I haven't had much success with that. They have to be very open-minded um, I would just be happy for the referral. And I often tell the patient, look, the doctor is going to have a different message for you. They mean well, but you can take that with a grain of salt. What I really want you to focus on is this message that I'm telling you is, 
you know, your scans don't matter or they are not relevant according to your pain. You know, I have all these analogies and metaphors that uh, you, you learn in different pain science courses. And it, it's really up to the patient to believe you over the doctor. But I'm always very careful to tell, to tell the patient that their doctor isn't wrong that they just have different training and they may not be exposed to the same research because relatively in the world of medicine, it's, it's a new concept, even though it's been around for almost 18 years now. So hmm. uh, that's, there, there's no easy way. I think you can give them, you can give them literature, like they're going to read this whole body of literature. You can, I've had doctors borrow their uh, pain science textbooks. They never give them back, but they also don't read them. You know, um, I wish there was an easy answer to that, but I, ultimately you really want to focus on the patient and uh, the education you can impart on them and just tell them that other they're going to hear various different negative messages. And it's just important to concentrate on the things that are going to move them forward. That's a great answer. Uh, Susie, this, this is a very tough, uh, very, very tough question. Um, more importantly, it's, it's a very tough situation. And here's why. I'm going to use a business analogy because it's easy for me. Um, one of the one of the biggest mistakes young or inexperienced business professionals do, especially if you start a, your own business, is you think that everyone has the potential to be your customer. Even when people are not, and you don't have a way to systemize and how to break down potential to realistic customers. And this is the same thing. You can't convince somebody that has absolutely no shot to be your customer. This is the very same thing with this conversation. So you, you have to understand that when, when you're going to talk to a physician, you have to you have to have a system of asking questions to gauge where they are on that spectrum of willingness and ability and uh, capacity to understand and process and integrate this information. So if you look at physicians as your potential customers, you have to ask yourself the question, is this physician going to be a customer of mine? And what you're selling is information. You're, what you're selling is education. What you're selling is a new way for them to look at pain. Um, so if you have to ask them those questions and you really do have to ask questions, Hey, do you, have you heard about the, the recent um, pain signs? Are you integrating some of this? Um, and whatever, you know, how, however else you approach pain science, uh, you, you have to, you have to get a baseline understanding of their language of how they approach it, of how pathoanatomical they are. Because if you're talking on different wavelengths um, of, of what you believe and what you say, they're going to hear a vastly different thing and they're going to shut down very soon in that conversation. So it becomes a pointless conversation. So you really have to understand where they're coming from. You essentially have to implement the pain science, motivational interviewing concepts into this, into this conversation. Um, and then once you know who they are and their perspective, then you'll have a good sense of, whether it's, it's realistic for them to think that way and how long it'll take and how long you have to chip away in um, constant iterations and information for them. Right. Uh, 
something else that, that kind of struck me about this conversation, especially, and I think June would probably agree, since we're both cash-based or at least out of network, I don't know what, how you exactly consider your model. But out awesome of markets, a, consider it awesome. That's it how awesome. I consider it. It is awesome. It's an awesome model. I don't market to physicians. I don't recommend that you market to physicians. I think you should market directly to patients. So if you can have, I've had so many physicians that have sent me patients regularly and all of a sudden one one thing goes wrong, someone has a bad experience and that doctor is never sending you a patient again. And that doc, I've had this happen with doctors that I used to be on like first name basis with. I would talk to them regularly, at least monthly. And then one patient who, again, I feel like the doctor doesn't even know them that well. All of a sudden, I've never gotten another patient again. And that's way back when I actually used to market to physicians. And you think about just going into a physician's office that you may or may not have a relationship with. There are already so many other People like drug reps who actually have a much larger budget, uh, they can schmooze quite a bit better. They probably look better than you. They're dressed better than you, and you're basically please. saying like, "Hey, please send me, please send me patients." They might be wearing polos, Gene. Person, why why are you trying to hurt me on this podcast today? This is the second I'm just second joking. shot at me. Farm reps don't wear words matter. Polos. Words matter. I know. I'm just throwing thought viruses in your head. Um, I, don't, I would just say. I don't market to physicians. I don't, re I don't reckon that, you know, the only physicians who ever referred to me regularly are ones who I either treated themselves or treated a family member. And I got luckily, but it was never as a result of direct marketing. I think marketing to patients and uh, providing value for them is a great strategy. Uh, and you should really focus the pain science on the patients and not, um, not the physicians, because that'd be like saying Apple is going to tout all its new features to the carriers and not make commercials for the consumer. Even though the carriers are subsidizing and selling their phones, the marketing budget uh, and push doesn't go to the carriers, it goes to the consumers. Hmm. Um, Sean, go ahead and submit your question, Sean Lindsay. Actually, I, I only have like another minute, Gene. That's all right. We can get to it next time. Um, th th yeah, this whole marketing conversation is obviously something we'll we'll um, we'll get into next podcast as well. Because at Recharge, we do zero physician marketing. Um, it, it's like you said, it, it's it's going to the end user, to the consumer, and connecting and providing them the information, the content, and all that stuff. And the same thing with UpDoc when we do our marketing. It's all about helping businesses create a story and a narrative and a strategy, not just throw out tactics to connect with their end user. And it, the strategy means it's a rollout. It, it, it's a consistent process. Uh, but the one thing I'll say is just because we don't market to physicians doesn't mean we don't see them as valuable resources in our community. They are. They have their own issues. They have their own burdens. They have their own stuff that they're dealing with. And it, it's coming from that angle of figuring out, you know, what, what are you struggling with? What, what are some of the problems you're seeing in the community? And we've connected with some really established physicians because they reached out to us after our community reached out to them and says, hey, you really have to go check out these guys or, hey, check out this video or they've seen some content we put out and they reach out to us and say, hey, this is amazing. Um, I've been trying to do this. I've been trying to integrate it. And, and they are trying, a lot of them are trying and, and we have to move beyond this us versus them, us versus the physicians, 
us versus chiropractors, us versus us versus us versus, uh, because we eventually will turn into the boy that cries wolf as the PT profession that fixes everything and knows everything that's better than everyone else. Like we don't want to be on the ivory tower. We as physical therapists are boots on the ground. That's where we're comfortable. That's where we're effective. And that's where we should be as the ones leading the way, as the ones pushing the, the, the health profession forward. Um, and that means is that as we're pushing forward, as we're marching ahead, we grab people's arms and go hand in hand versus shoving them out of the way. And once you start to integrate that and this becomes part of your day to day and part of your business, then good things start to happen. Right. I have some thoughts on that. I don't consider physicians negative. And that's why I, I, I want you to emphasize uh, to the patient that the physician is not wrong. Um, it's just, I don't market directly to them, but absolutely you can have conversations with them. It's just that, uh, you're also essentially saying, Hey, I have this new thing that's going to make the patient never come back to you again. Do you want yeah. to send me, do you want to send your patients away so you can never see them again? Uh, so you have to, it, it, that's difficult to put that, uh, I guess, gently. Yeah. Look, I, I don't treat physicians as physicians. I treat it as physician X in front of me, who is a person with their experiences and biases, right? So when I'm, when I'm meeting anybody, whether it's physician or any other profession, I don't put a blanket. This is, this is whoever the entire profession on this one person. I know this person is, has their own issues, has their own perspectives, has their own uh, way of approaching things. And that's the way I deal with it. That one-on-one, that, that, that perspective from them, um, in a greater context. And, and I think that's the way, the way it should be. It, it's not like it's physician is not physician. It's not physician. It's not physician. You know, doc, Dr. X is different than Dr. Y than, doc, than Dr. Z. Sure. They'll have some commonalities, but doesn't mean that you, you treat them all the same way either. All right. That's all the time I have for today. I have another podcast to do. Unbelievable. This, this has priority, Urson. This is the greatest podcast ever created in the world of podcasts. That's why I did this one first. Insiders at 12 o'clock Eastern. Um, great. So we have more questions, but we'll save those for the next episode. Um, Gotta leave them hanging. Gotta leave them hanging. Evan, Sean, we'll get to your questions on the next week's episode of Therapy Insiders. Again, if you enjoy this live format, let us know if you're watching on um, UpDoc or the Modern Manual Therapy page. Facebook page right now. Please leave more comments or questions that we'll get to next podcast. Let us know. Are you enjoying this format? Do you like the live format? Do you like the video on Instagram? If you're watching, let us know if you're enjoying this, if you want this to keep going as well every week. And again, if you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe either on iTunes, Google Play and leave us a review. We leave the reviews really help because it kind of helps steer us. Um, except that one, one guy that left us a five-star review and said the great content, but the the hosts are a bit of goofballs. Um, I don't know what to think is about that. that. A, Thank that you for the review. review. Yeah, it was a real review on, on iTunes. Thanks for the review. Um, I, I think, um, to be fair, we are kind of goofballs. So it might be an accurate statement. I would hope so. Gosh, I wouldn't want to listen to people without personality. <laughs> might be too much personality. Or something. You're, you're going to have to tone it down a little bit. Yeah, it's me. <laughs> Um, all right. So that, that's it for this week's episode. Um, for those of you wondering, we are going to get Joe back. I promise you, Joe had a new baby. So we're, um, getting him a little time to, to have some time with, uh, 
the new baby and um, we'll get him going. And yes, we'll probably get some more guests on here as well that are not camera shy. Surprisingly, a lot of guests are camera shy when they're saying, let's be on the podcast. They're like, yeah, this is great. Um, but uh, once you turn the camera on, they get a little. A they, can little just turn their cam- they can turn their camera off and just go and mic. No, we wouldn't do that. We, we'd make them. <laughs> we'd make them on here. Like if, if you want to be on our podcast, uh-huh. you are going to be full in. Um, so at this point, I actually have to look through a ton of emails because I had a lot of requests for podcast guests um, that I ignored most of them just because that's me in email. Uh, but we'll, we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that as well. So that's this week's episode of Therapy Insiders Live. Thanks for tuning in. And Erson's going to get to recording another podcast, apparently. Right. I would also say that you can email me because I'll get to it because it's part of my time blocked activities. I don't know about Gene. Gene's not big on inbox zero, I guess. No, I'm big on inbox, nothing, no inbox, <laughs> no inbox. Right. So if you get, a, if you want to get a hold of us at therapy insiders for me at uh, the OMPT on Twitter for Urson at Abdoc media, Facebook page at modern manual therapy, Facebook page for our Facebook content. We'll catch you again next week on Therapy Insiders. See ya.